Good to see you back tonight. Let's take our Bibles this evening and go to Psalm 138. We've been in our study in the book of Psalms for quite some time now. And uh, if Jesus don't come back, we'll reach the end at some point. If he comes back before then, that's okay. Psalm 138. Our thoughts tonight uh, center around uh, David, wrote this psalm, and it centers around his praising God for answered prayer. Basically, that's the whole gist of the psalm. Um, if you're like me, I was thinking about prayer this week, reading this, um, and I think you're probably the same. The majority of my time in prayer is asking God for stuff. So should we pray about other things? If you want to, you can, but I like asking him for stuff. I pray for stuff all the time. I mean, I thank him for what he's given me, but I made a list of stuff that we pray for. Maybe this applies to you, maybe it doesn't, but this is some stuff that I pray for. I often pray for lost people by name, people that I know that are lost. I pray for them to get saved. And I usually start with the circle of people that I know, whether they be family members or larger circle, and I pray for them that God would open their eyes and understand in their mind because you and I both know uh, we can't save anyone and we can't convince them to get saved. God has to deal with their heart. And so I pray for God to do that. And sometimes I pray for God to make them miserable. So well, that's not nice. No, but if they get saved, it'll be worth it. So we pray that God will, will deal with them. Sometimes and often I pray for uh, health issues for people in the church. I have a list and in the mornings when I pray, I go down all the people that I know that have health needs or have asked for prayer that I wrote down or that I remember. And so I ask God to heal people. I certainly pray for that for myself and for my family when we're sick. Um, I often pray for safety for our family and for those around because the world's a dangerous place. If you drive on the roads, you get yourself killed. So I pray for uh, safety on the way home today. A lady pulled out right in front of me. Like she sat there and waited until I got there. That makes you happy, doesn't it? I was overjoyed with her. <clears throat> I prayed for her when I went by. But um, no, if you drive on the road, if you go out in the world, you pray for safety and for God to watch over us. I pray for wisdom all the time. God said, if you like wisdom, any man like wisdom, let him ask and I'll give it to you liberally. Well, that's my cue, okay? He said, I'll give it to you liberally, so and I'm, I'm asking all the time. And I, and I usually pray for wisdom about the church because I don't have this, this secret manual in my back pocket about how you pastor a church. I mean, I got the Bible and I read that, but trust me when I tell you there are things that happened in the church nobody thought of before, I don't think. I don't, I'm not sure anybody knew that was coming. And so I pray for wisdom to deal with that stuff. Um, I, pray, I pray for deliverance from sin. I like God to just take care of it before I get there. Like that way I don't, I don't get in it. So I just pray for deliverance from sin. And then when I do sin, I pray for forgiveness. You ever do that? Yes, pastor, we pray for forgiveness all the time. Thank you, makes me feel better. You, you have to pray for forgiveness for sin. So I ask God to forgive me all the time. And then I just wrote down, so I, you, you know, a lot of us pray over jobs. If you say to me, pray for me, I'm, I'm interviewing, I pray over jobs. I pray over people's jobs. I ask God to give people jobs. When people have financial needs, I pray for God to give them money. So man, should we pray for God to give money? Yeah, if you need it, yes, absolutely. 
God has all the money in the world. You don't, God doesn't have any money shortages. So if you need something and you're working and you're doing everything you're supposed to do, then ask God for it. Ask him to give you what you need. As long as you're not, listen, the Bible says as long as we're not praying to consume it upon ourselves, meaning you're not praying selfishly or, or you know, for something that you don't really need. But you can ask God anything. Why? Because he's your heavenly father. And so I pray for our leaders of our nation. I, I tell you, I pray that Jesus will rapture a church every day. And I pray in the morning, say, God, rapture church today. He's not done it so far today, so I don't know. But I pray for him too. And I pray, I pray for him to bring in his kingdom. Why? Because the one that's here in the world is messed up. And his will be right. His will be good. So I pray for him to do that. I pray for, I pray for God's will to be done. You know, I, the list is long, but I'm just giving an idea. Do you ever pray for any of those things? Sure you do. You ask God. Now you say, you know, you might think, well, maybe we're, we're being too needy and too wanting. Maybe we're, we're asking God for too much stuff. Oh, no. Mm -mm. Let me encourage you with a couple of things. Listen to this. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Don't be stressed about everything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, what's the last part of that say? Let your request be made known to God. Hey, guess what? What's this? The Bible says, ask God for what you want. Now, this is not health, wealth, and fame preaching here. I'm not telling you if you want to be famous, ask God to make you famous and all that stuff. What I'm telling you is God said, I love you. Ask me for what you need. And that's even better. Listen, Luke 11, 9 to 13. This is Jesus talking. Listen to this. So I say to you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be opened. Jesus said that. Got it? Now, all of these promises are within the will of God for your life. So if you ask God for something and he says no, which is in the realm of possibility that he would say, no, you don't need that. You got to understand that that's good for you. You, when you were raising your kids, you probably said no to them sometimes, right? I actually said no to mine a lot. No, you can't have that. Why? Because it's not good for you. You don't need it. God does that to us. But Jesus said, ask, knock, seek. Okay, for everyone asks, receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be open. And then Jesus made the analogy in verse 11. He said, if a son asks any of you for bread of a father among you, will you give him a stone? Or if he gets a, ask for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? Uh, and what Jesus was saying, he goes on to say, if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? Jesus said, if you bunch of sinful lost guys know how to love your children and want to give them good things when they ask you, Notice verse 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus said, look, the heavenly father is your heavenly father and he loves you, so ask him for what you need. Now all that prefaces this thought right here. God answers prayer. You don't have to answer out loud, but let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed specifically for something and God did it? I mean, spot on, exactly what you asked for. Is that not the coolest thing? I mean, think about it. Is that just not, did I just bless your socks off? I mean, you, you pray and you go, God, this is the situation and this is what I need. God, can you do this? And like, boom, you know, like in a day or two or a week or a month or sometime, wham, there it is. And then you think about it, you go, man, that is exactly what I asked for. Let me give you an illustration. When I was in the military, 
<clears throat> the Navy had three Navy bases here. And I always tried to get stationed here because we had a house here and Sherry was going to college and I didn't want to uproot her and move her every time I got orders, which is about every three years. And so in a 20 plus year career, that means I was up for orders seven times. And so every time I would be up for orders, I would pray and I would say, God, I really need to stay in Jacksonville. And I would tell God why. We were plugged into church. I was a deacon there. I was teaching Sunday school. I sang in the choir. Sherry was the church pianist. I was like, God, we're working. We're, we're serving you while I'm in the Navy. And she's going to school and I really need to stay here. I'd call D. Taylor. Usually his first answer was, there's nothing in Jacksonville. And I would think to myself, okay, I need to pray some more. So I would, I would pray some more. And the next time I called him, guess what he would say? Hey, there's a job open in Jacksonville. You want it? I go, yeah. Do you know how many times that happened? Five out of seven times I went to get orders. Now, some people would go, oh, man, you're just lucky. I'm not lucky. I know the guy who writes the orders. I know Jesus. I know the one who moves the world around. And I know the one. Now, listen. If God, there, was, there were two times I didn't get to stay here. And I know why now looking back, because God was moving me so I would go into ministry. Because I was hard-headed and he had already, I said, I'm not doing that. And so God said, okay, you will when I get done. And he just <laughs> moved me around and did his thing. But listen, what I'm saying to you is you probably have a story of your own like that. You could probably look back in your life at something where you, where you prayed specifically and you said, God, man, I, I, I really need you to, to do something here because I don't know what to do. And God comes through, man. Now listen, that's not a, God's not a genie in the bottle and, I'm not, and I don't want you to think that you can tell God what to do. In other words, we can't just pray to God and go, well, God, you know, I want you to do this and you said you'd do it. No, no, no. God has a higher and a bigger and a better plan for us than we can see. But if what we ask God, listen to this, now here's the key. If what we ask God fits in his will for us, fits in his purpose for us, he'll give it to you. Because he loves us. But it's got to fit in his will for you and what he wants. And God has purposes that we can't see sometimes. Like God allows things to happen. And, and you can give testimony to this too. God has allowed things to happen in my life. And when they happen, I'm, I'm sitting around scratching my head for a little while going, I, I, don't, I don't see it right now, but I'm sure God has some purpose for why this thing's happening the way it's happening. And then usually I see it later. Usually, you know, usually later hindsight's better than, than foresight. So what I'm saying is that God works in these ways. Now here's the last thing we're gonna read what David said. I would say the one thing that we are delinquent in doing as Christians that David does right here, and this is the lesson. We ask God for stuff all the time. And God loves us and he gives us stuff all the time. But we are very delinquent in going back after he answers a prayer and saying, thank you. We like to ask a lot. And then when we get what we want, we're on our way. I had a Sunday school teacher tell me when I was a little bitty fellow, I don't hardly even remember this because we didn't go to church much. And we was by my grandma, my grandma, thank God for grandmas, because she took us to Sunday school, right? And so I'm in this classroom and, and I remember this lady, I don't remember anything else she said, but she said this. 
She goes, we ask God for stuff all the time and we got to remember to tell him thank you. And since I was a knee high to a tadpole, that's what I remember her saying. You got to tell God, thank you. That's what I would say right here. Let's take time to say thank you to God before in our next breath we ask for something else, okay? Because God blesses us all the time. Now, David does that right here. What David is doing in this Psalm is saying, God, I'm gonna praise you because you answered prayer. Look at verse one of Psalm 138. He said, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. Now that's an interesting verse. Let's deal with the first part first. He said, I will praise you with my whole heart. This is not the first time in the book of Psalms that we've seen David use that phrase where he says, God, I will praise you with my whole heart. I'm gonna give you four quick things that I, that I believe that encompasses to praise God, to be thankful with our whole heart. Number one, it means with sincerity, not just for show. It's not just, <clears throat> you know, you know if you have kids when your kids said, thanks dad, and they say it as they're going out the door while they're thinking about something else. Well, okay, thank you for saying, thanks dad. But that's not as good as thanks dad and a hug, right? That's not as good as thanks dad, uh, you know, and looking at you in the face kind of thing, okay? There are two or two different things. That's what David's saying right here. David's saying, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna thank you. I'm gonna worship you with my whole heart. It's gonna be sincere. It means it's gonna be genuine with gratitude because I have paused long enough to think about what you did for me when you answered that prayer. And God, I am, my heart is overflowing with thankfulness that you would do that. I would suggest in the church today that we need to have that kind of gratitude to God with our whole heart, not just thank you, God, while we're moving on to the next thing, but really thank you, God, from a heart of gratitude, Lord, of what you've done for me. Sometimes when I'm in the mornings, when I'm praying, I start thinking about all, all the blessings and the things that I have. You know, I have a home and a, and a family and my children are healthy and I begin to go down the list of stuff and you can't put value on that stuff. I mean, you can't put, you just can't put value on that. I mean, it's just, it's just not just stuff. I mean, Sherry would never go for it, but I could live in a tent. I mean, it really wouldn't bother me, okay? I mean, I could, you know, I could live anywhere. Sherry would say, that ain't happening. So, but the point is, God's given me more, more than I need, more, that, more than I could ever. I mean, who, who would know all the stuff that God gives us in life and health and getting up and being able to work and do things? So David said, I'm gonna worship you with my whole heart. I, I would hope in our church and pray in our church that when we come here and we worship God together, that it's genuine, that it's sincere, that it's not just uh, you know going through the motions. Number two, it means that we worship God uh, with energy and with zeal and passion. And what that means is not showmanship, not, you know, do you jump up and down and stuff, which if that's what you move to do is fine. But it means that we, that we do it because our heart draws us to it, that it's a natural response to what God did for us, that we're naturally drawn to worship God because our heart knows, because we recognize the goodness of God to us and, and we, wanna, we wanna worship Him. The older I get, and, and the more I understand, there's a, there's a companion to that. I understand that when I sin, it offends God. And I understand that when I make bad decisions and I, and I say the wrong things or I act wrong, that it offends God because he's so holy. And it's the same connection. God's done so much for me, I don't wanna offend him. I, I don't want to do things that offend him. Now I still do because I'm human 
and, I, and until I get my new resurrection body and get removed from even the presence of sin, I struggle like Paul did and like you do. But the fact is there's genuineness in the zeal that I don't want to do that stuff. And it's the same with our worship. Man, my heart moves me to thank God. Number three, it means, it means uprightness, meaning what David's saying there is this. God, when I sing the song that I want you to make me holy, I really do want you to make me holy. When I sing the song and God, the song has words in it that said, God, thank you for being good to me. I really do thank you. In other words, we're not just singing the song. We're not just praying the prayer. We're not just going through the motion. David said, man, I'm doing it with uprightness. I'm doing it with integrity. And then finally, uh, he said, I'm going to worship you in this thing with his whole heart. It means I'm going to do it with an affection and a love for you. John, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love God because he first loved us. And again, that's the reciprocation. That is the... That is, man, God has so overwhelmingly loved us, not just a little bit, but given his son and, and loved us unconditionally. How, how can we respond to that in any other way? I mean, how could we genuinely respond to that? So David, in saying those things, says, God, you've blessed me so overwhelmingly. Um, I'm, I'm just going to worship you with my whole heart. Then he says, before the gods. Now, I, I, that phrase has not been used before, so that's an interesting one. And, I, and what I wrote out next to that, what I believe it means is he says, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise you with boldness. You say, well, what's it got to do with God? Well, I would say two things. Notice this little g, meaning pagan deities. All the nations around Israel were lost. They're in darkness. They're, they worship pagan deities. Israel worshiped the true and living God. And what David's saying there is he says, God, I'm not going to be ashamed to be different from everybody out there. I'm not going to be ashamed to not be involved in worship of all those pagan deities, which if you watch the, if you look and study the history of pagan deities, they're kind of all connected in, different, in, in a way, you know. But what he's saying is, God, you're different. You, you're the real God, and I'm, I'm not going to follow those guys out there. I'm not going to follow the world. I'm going to worship you in front of all of them. And he says, I'm going to be a testimony to them. Boy, we need that today, don't we? We need that commitment today. The world, the world is, all, is in complete darkness. And the world wants us to conform to their image. When, when Paul said, don't be conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be renewed in the word of God and be conformed to the image of Christ. David said, that's what I'm going to do. And I would suggest to you today, that's what we need to do. Uh, in front of those gods, in front of those pagan David said, I'm going to be a testimony. And that includes, secondly, the kings. David messed up one time with Bathsheba and then killed her husband. You know why he did that? Well, sin. But that's what all the kings did. And I can just almost see, and the Bible doesn't say this, but I can almost see David rationalizing, because when we go into sin, don't we rationalize in our mind? We justify it. We go, well, you know, this is okay. And one of the ways David could have done that is, well, I'm the king. And all the kings do it. All the kings have a harem. All the kings, all the kings, and remember what God said to him through Nathan? You ain't all the kings. You ain't like them guys out there. You're mine. And you represent me. And so you're not like that. David's saying right here, God, you're right. I'll be different. I won't be like all them people out there. I won't be like those kings. I'm going to be bold in front of them. Let me say a word about our boldness in Christ. There is a distinct difference between being bold and being obnoxious. Everybody follow me, okay? There's boldness, 
and then there's being rude. There's boldness, and then there's being judgmental. There's boldness, and then there's being unkind. There's boldness, and then there's being unloving. We're not to be any of those things over there. We're to be bold. We can be bold in our faith, and boldness means I'm just going to say the truth, and I'm going to live the truth, but we can be bold in love. We can be bold in compassion, and we can be bold in the love of Jesus Christ. We can be bold with empathy for the fact that they're lost because we know what that felt like. And too many Christians get on their, on their religious high horse and think they've arrived and they forget that lost people need the love of Jesus Christ. And the only place they're going to see it's from us. And so let's be bold. Let's not be ashamed of our faith. Let's not be ashamed to say, no, that's not right because God said it's not right. Nothing, nothing obnoxious about that. And the world's going to get spitting mad about it but love them when you say it and be kind to them when you say it. Everybody understand the difference, okay? David said, I'm gonna be bold. Now, in verses two and three, he said, here's why I'm gonna praise you. Look at it. Here's why I'm gonna praise you with my whole heart. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. There's one of them. For you have magnified your word above all your name. And then in verse three, in the day that I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. So there are two overarching reasons he gives there for he's gonna praise God with his whole heart. And the first one is, uh, when I pray, I'm gonna to pray towards your holy temple because of your loving kindness and your truth. Now, first of all, when you read that, David said, I'm gonna to pray toward the tabernacle. He didn't have the temple yet, it would have been the tabernacle, but I'm gonna to pray toward the temple or the tabernacle. That's because the Shekinah glory, the presence of God was manifest in Israel in the Holy of Holies. And so they saw God's presence among them in that Holy of Holies, and they would always pray facing that way. They would pray as in, we're praying to God, there's his manifested presence. Only the priests could go inside there, right? In the holy place. And only the high priest could go in the Holy of Holies once a year. And so everybody else, guess what? Everybody else in the kingdom's out toward the tabernacle, right? So he simply says, God, I'm gonna pray toward the tabernacle. And what he's saying is, I'm gonna pray to you. And I'm going to pray to my God. I'm going to pray to you. Now you see this in, cap, in, the, in the time of captivity more than anywhere else in the Bible as we did this morning. If you were here this morning, Daniel, Daniel chapter six, went up to his room to pray three times a day facing where? Jerusalem, same, same exact thing. He's up in his room praying and he faced toward Jerusalem. Why? Because that's the city of God. That's where the temple was before it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. That's where the Holy of Holies was. And so he prays toward Jerusalem which was a representation of, of God and his presence with him. Now, you say, well, how does that apply to us today? Well, it really doesn't because the, the moment you were saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you became the temple. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And so uh, when we pray, we pray often in the name of Jesus. Why do we do that? For people that come to church and they've never been to church much, and we pray and we go, in the name of Jesus, amen. They probably go, why are you guys all do that? Why are, you, why are you always praying in the name of Jesus? Because he's our high priest now, right? The priests in Israel represented God to the people and the people to God. And so they, went, they would give their offering to the priest. The priest would take it to God and give the offering to cover their sin. When we come to Jesus, he's our advocate. 
We ask him to forgive us. He forgives our sin. Jesus is the one who reconciles us to the Father. He's the one who takes our sin away. He's the one who makes us right before the Father because we're in Jesus. And so everything we pray and ask for, we pray it in the name of Jesus because that's how we approach God. That's how we approach the Father. We don't approach the Father because we're so cool. We don't approach the Father because we're such good Christians. We don't approach the Father because we look at him and go, well, I'm your favorite. You got to answer my prayers. No, 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 no. I go before the throne of the Father and I, you go before the throne of heaven in the name of Jesus because that's who you're in and that's who's inside of you. And so we pray a little different than they did there. We don't have to face Jerusalem or you certainly don't have to face this building from your house. There's nothing here, okay? When we come in here, it's the temple of God because you're the temple of God. When we leave, just an empty building, okay? Just, just, just a building, all right? Now, notice he says, God, I'm gonna praise you because I'm gonna pray to you where you are and you're gonna hear me, but I'm gonna pray because of your loving kindness and your truth. I believe in, in respect to David, this, this specifically has to do with God's promises, loving kindness and truth. In 2 Samuel 7, you remember the story, I won't recount the whole thing. David wanted to build God a temple. God said, no, you can't build a temple. Solomon's gonna build it. And then God said, but I'm, but I'm gonna build you a house. And God gave David what's called the Davidic covenant. And in that covenant, he promised David that your kingdom will be established forever. And your son will sit on the throne, your lineage will sit on the throne of Israel forever. Well, David knew immediately that he's talking about the Messiah. And immediately David understood that God was promising through his lineage, the Messiah would come, the savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel. And so David was thankful. And what he labels that as God's loving kindness and God's truth. Why would he call it loving kindness? Because God don't owe us anything. God, God doesn't owe us anything. In fact, you can write this down, God will never be indebted to anybody. Never has been, never will be. God's indebted to himself because he makes a promise that he won't break because of his character. But he's not indebted to you and me. And that's one reason you can't work your way to heaven. Because if you could work your way to heaven, then God would owe you. And God would owe me. And God don't owe anybody. Why? Because he's God. And so when God, listen, watch this. So when God saves us, he does it out of loving kindness. He don't have to. He just does it because he loves us. He does it because it's in his character. God is love, the Bible says. And so David says to God, you made this covenant with me when I'm a nobody. I'm, I, was a she I was a kid watching the sheep out there in the middle of nobody. I was the least in my dad's house and you called me and you made me king of your people. And now you're telling me you're gonna bring, you're gonna bring the Messiah through my lineage and he's gonna rule in the throne of Israel forever. What loving kindness is that? That's exactly what he's saying. And then the truth, the loving kindness and the truth is God, you said it, so now it's gonna happen. Your word is truth, your promises are truth and they're good. And so he says, I'm gonna praise you uh, for your loving kindness because you made these promises to me. How's that apply to the church? This gets real good right here, so you need to listen. Did you know God's made a covenant with us? It's, a, it's what we would call an unconditional covenant. It's what we would call a one-sided covenant. All the covenants in the Old Testament was God promised to do something if they did something, right? Hey, 
Israel, if you obey me and keep my laws and keep my commands, I'll bless you. I'll be your God. I'll keep the enemies away and I'll just bless the britches off of you. Well, they didn't. And so God chastened them. In, in the day of grace, in the church days today, there's, there's what we would call the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace is all one-sided. It's all God and none of us. All we do, all we do is accept the gift that God extends to us. God says, hey, you're lost and on your way to hell. I did something about that. Sent my son down the cross, paid the price of your sin. He rose again the third day. He's at the right hand. We intercede for you. So here, if you'll confess your sin and ask me, I'll forgive you and save you. I'll adopt you into my family. I'll make you my own. How about it? Most of the world says, no, thanks. I'm good in my sin going to hell. Thank you very much. That's what most of the world says. God dealt with your heart. At some point you said, Lord, thank you. Yeah, I'd like to be saved. Forgive me. Save me today. God saved you. It's all one-sided. You didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. God saved us. Now, that's loving kindness. What's the truth? All the promises in the book. The truth is all the promises in the book. Everything God has said that he's going to do for us are truth. Everything he says is going to happen is truth. Let me read you a few. You ready? I wrote down, I knew you'd want a list. Here it is. Here's what he promised to do. Complete forgiveness for all sin, past, present, and future. Boy, that one's right at the top. That's good, isn't it? Complete forgiveness. Uh, I'll wipe slate clean. Just ask me. Put your faith in my son, Jesus Christ. I'll forgive you. That's a good one. Hey, deliverance from the wrath to come. That's really close to being as good as the first one, right? Because the penalty of sin is death and God's judgment. And he goes, not only will I forgive your sin, but all the wrath that I would have poured out on you for your sin, I put it on my son, Jesus, so you can, you can be free from that. Thank you. That's good. Listen, the imparting of eternal life. That's a good one too. Because in these bodies, these bodies die. And God said, look, I'll give you eternal life. You can live with me forever. I like forever. That's pretty good. I like living. And living forever is as good as it gets, right? I mean, it didn't get any better than that. So God said, I'll forgive your sin. I'll, I'll deliver you from the wrath's coming. I'll give you eternal life. Oh, and while you're still walking around on the earth and that body, I'll just give you the Holy Spirit to live in you while you're there. Do you see how good this is? You see, you, you see what God's done? His goodness and his truth? While you're still there, I'll just give you the Holy Spirit and he can help you do what you're supposed to do and help you not do the things you're not supposed to do, but you gotta trust him. Oh, and then God says, and let me throw in some other stuff for you. I'm gonna adopt you into my family when you get saved. You're gonna become my son or daughter. I'm gonna adopt you into my family and that means everything I have is yours. Wow, that's pretty good too. Because last time I checked, God owns everything. And he said, you can, you can be my son. You can be in my family. And then I wrote down here, he's going to give us a new place to live forever. We just studied the book of Revelation here not long ago. And he's making a new Jerusalem. I think it's already built myself, just waiting to come down. And God, if you're a child of God, he's already built you a house there. And I bet the price of lumber hadn't gone up in heaven. Jesus already built that thing. It's, it's, it's already there. And he's going to give you a home forever. 
listen, not to mention, not to mention this, all the blessings in the book of which God says, the mind cannot even begin to conceive the things I have in store for those who love me. God has all that in store for us. So that is his love, his kindness to us and his truth. Now, David said this, I'm gonna praise you, God, because you answered my prayer. Look at verse three again. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my, in my soul. I'm gonna give you two times that I, now David prayed a lot. And most, a bunch of them are written in the book of Psalms, okay? But I would suggest as by way of example, there were two times when David prayed and God specifically answered him that would fall in this category of, I'm gonna praise you because I prayed and you heard me and you answered. One of them is in 1 Samuel 17 when he had to go out there and fight Goliath. Now, when we read that story, you know the story. David shows up, his dad sent him to bring some food for his brothers who are in the army there. And Goliath is down there making fun of God and making fun of Israel. And David, this little whippersnapper, you know, was watching the sheep yesterday. He's standing down there and he goes, nobody gonna go out there and kill that guy because he's blaspheming God and somebody needs to go down there and shut him up. And of course, all these soldiers around him and his brother go, well, you're a big shot, man. Look how big that guy is. He's a giant. He's, you know, nine foot, 11 foot tall, whatever. He's big and look at, you know, look at his shield and all. I ain't going down there. And David said, I'll go down there because somebody needs to shut him up. He's blaspheming God and he's blaspheming the nation of Israel and, and we're going to shut him up. Now I'm going to tell you, I know David went to the brook and got five smooth stones and that he was a, a dead shot with a sling. And you know, I, I know all that, but I'm pretty sure before he went walking down there, he did some praying. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure on the way down there, he's thinking, Lord, you put it on my heart to shut this guy up and he's awful big. Now, Lord, I know you helped me when I was out there watching the sheep and I killed a bear and a lion with this sling, but he's bigger than a bear and he's about four lines, so he's a big fella. God, you're gonna have to help me deliver this guy into my hands so that I can, I can avenge your name. I'm sure David was praying on his way out there to the field. He'd have been a fool not to be praying. And you know the story, one shot, hit the guy in the forehead, knocked him out. And then David took his sword and chopped his head off. That's pretty decisive, isn't it? I mean, that battle's over, right? And the rest of the Philistines seen their, their champion fall and they all scattered and Israel, ooh, where went they went and chased them. You know, there's a little shepherd boy standing out there with his sling standing on top of the giant. David prayed and God delivered. David prayed and God struck down the giant, used David as an instrument to do that. I'm gonna tell you the second one that I believe is even more important uh, and there are many in David's life. i just give these real quick. Psalm 51. Y'all know what Psalm 51 is? That is the Psalm of David's confession of his murder, of his sin of adultery and then murdering Bathsheba's husband. That's the Psalm he wrote after Nathan stuck his finger up and said, you're the man, you're the one that did that. And in that Psalm, David asked for two things. I asked for more than two things, but I'll give you the two or three biggies. One, he said, God, forgive me. And God did. God said, I forgave you. I'm not going to kill you. Because the penalty for adultery or murder is what? Death by the law. And God said, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to forgive you because you asked me. And I'm going to forgive you because I love you. And then David said, Lord, 
don't take your spirit away from me. You see, in the Old Testament, God could remove his spirit from someone as he did Samson, as he did Saul. And David knew what that meant, that God would take his hand off his life. And David pleaded with God, don't, don't do that. And God said, I won't take my spirit away from you. And then thirdly, David said, Lord, would you restore the fellowship that we had and the goodness of my salvation before I did this? He wanted that fellowship with God back. And the point is God answered those prayers and God gave him everything he asked for. So you know what that caused David to do? I'm going to worship you with my whole heart. That's pretty good, isn't it? I'm going to worship you with my whole heart. Let me finish with this. We're about out of time. Look at verses four and five. David said, Lord, all the kings of the earth will praise you. O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth, yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. All the kings of the earth. Think about that for a minute. David's Hebrew. He's writing this in a time when the Jewish nation is God's people and the rest of the world out there are heathens. This is prophetic. You know why it's prophetic? Because he's saying, Lord, there's going to come a time when the Gentiles are going to be included. There's going to come a time when the whole world is going to be included in what you're doing. God, there will come a time when even the kings out there and those pagan nations, they're going to come worship you and declare that you're God. Now, we know when that's going to happen, don't we? When Jesus comes back and the millennial kingdom's established, the whole world's going to worship him and they're going to declare him to be God. And then finally, look at verses 6 to 8. We could spend a lot more time on these verses, but we're, we're out of time. Look at verse 6 to 8. He says, Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against uh, the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Let me just touch this. God's, God's judgment and his choices are just. He regards the lowly, but the proud are far from him. What does that mean? The lowly means those who are, are humble. The lowly means those who recognize they have nothing. And they come before God empty-handed and say, Lord, I bring nothing and I need everything. That's how you get saved. The proud, the proud say, I have everything and I need nothing from you, God, which is foolish. How do you approach God tonight? Do you approach him lowly? Even after we're saved, we need everything from God. There never comes a time in this life when we're self-dependent. We need everything from God every day. I would suggest we approach God that way. And finally, don't forget to say thank you. That's what David's doing. Don't forget to say thank you. God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. If there's anybody here tonight that needs to be saved, you're not sure that you are saved, you're not sure you're going to heaven when you die, you can get saved right now. Right now, from the seat where you sit. I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. 
And if you're not sure you're saved, here's what you need to do. From where you sit, you need to pray, confess your sin to God, tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner and I know it. And my sin offends you and I believe Jesus Christ died to pay for my sin. And by all the faith I have, I'm asking you to forgive me and save my soul right now. If you'll pray that prayer honestly before God and confess your sin and ask him to save you, God will do all that I just told you he'll do. He'll forgive your sin. He'll deliver you from wrath to come. He'll make you his child. He'll give you eternal life. That is a good deal. Don't miss the opportunity if you're watching online. Don't miss the opportunity to be saved tonight. Let's pray. God, we do want to say thank you for being so good to us. Lord, if we were to begin to make a list of all the times you've answered prayer, Lord, we could be here until you come back. Lord, maybe there's somebody who's <clears throat> here tonight watching online or will watch this video later, and they're just not sure they're saved right now, God. They're, they're not sure that if they died tonight, today, they would go to heaven. Lord, right now they can be sure. God, I just pray they would cry out to you and say, oh God, forgive my sin and save me, Lord. I want to be yours. God, I surrender my heart. Take my life. Save me right now. Lord, help us to be thankful and grateful children. Help us, God, to say thank you with a sincere heart. And God, we are grateful for all you've done for us and all you will yet do. Your promises are true. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together as we sing.